if you're like me, it's hard not to feel the synchronicities of Torah with what's going on around us. I find that often Torah does synchronize with our experiences because the Torah really is the voice of the human divine encounter. It's the voice of experience. It is strange that we read about locust plagues when the locust plague was happening. It seems strange that we quarantine in our homes, shelter in place. When the ninth plague, we survived the ninth plague of darkness because Israelites knew to stay at home. And here we are about to celebrate Passover, and we're about to do the seders at a time when some mathematicians model for us that this could be the height of plague contamination during the holiday in Southern Michigan. We're reading about the, the original seder where they put the blood on each doorpost to keep the plague, the angel of death from their homes. Those, the blood on the doorposts certainly reminds us of the Red Cross that for the entire Middle Ages up into the modern period was drawn on the doors of homes that the plague affected, the Black Plague and the other plagues. In case of European history, it was to designate that that house was in quarantine and people would pray for them or write on the door, may God have mercy on you that you survived this and get out the other side alive of the quarantine. The quarantine period itself obviously comes from the word for 40 day isolation. It's a word that reminds us of human arrogance because one of the reasons that the Black Plague spread, and there are two different theories about what the Black Plague was. Some people blame it on the rats spreading a particular kind of pathogen, bacterial pathogen. Many other researchers think it was a virus. It was a hemorrhagic virus that presented like the other one and had a 37 to 38 day incubation period. And so the 40 day quarantine, whereas in England, one of the reasons there was greater devastation over and over and over again was because they never went to 40 days. And at the most, they declared a isolation period of 30. And it's not clear that they ever actually enforced it because they thought that the authorities at the th time thought that they knew better about how it worked. We are realizing that the COVID-19 challenges everything we think we know about what about what we what it does and what it can be and how we're to fight it and every couple of days we have to realize oh i thought it couldn't spread that way no it can spread that way oh i thought one was safe doing this no one's not safe doing that oh well i get how it works well maybe we don't get how it works that's almost the definition of what the plague means in torah it is the adversary that you constantly underestimate at your peril we see uh, all around us, I'm not the only one, I mean, especially Christians today, they see also almost like an apocalyptic sense of what's happening. Uh, they see eschatological signs. Uh, for Mormons, the trumpet from the angel Moroni at the great Mormon cathedral in Utah was brought down by an earthquake in the last couple of weeks, which felt like a sign. For those of us who've been preaching about this for years, we've seen global warming signs, we've seen drought, we've seen potential financial collapses, and more recently, we've seen wildfires recently devastating the wildlife of Australia. We've seen starvations. 
largely due to climate change, and more recently, the locusts. We have these eerily similar connections. Interestingly, what we may, might expect to be kind of a silly apocalypticism, that people are going to start saying, oh, I need to be saved, let me get my sneakers on, wait for the aliens, or like the, the, the text of Qumran, wait for the angels of light to defeat the angels of darkness, Gog and Magog about to do war. That's not even what people are thinking today, even many of the evangelicals. It was very interesting when the New York Times quoted an evangelical a woman goes by Ms. Webster. She's 42 years old, a self-avowed right-wing evangelical Christian. When asked about what she sees, why she would say we are in some kind of, she sees apocalyptic connections. She replied that she has been listening online to one of her favorite preachers. And she understands that maybe what this pandemic is, is a divine reset. She said, quote, these kinds of moments really get you to reevaluate everything. As everyone goes through a period of isolation, maybe God can use some of it for good to teach us and train us how to live life better. The reporter Elizabeth Diaz writes correctly, the word apocalypse, the, the theme of apocalypse is a common narrative that arises in moments of social and political crisis as people try to process unprecedented or shocking events. It doesn't have to mean the silly end of the world. It's actually a different kind of experience that many of us may be feeling. The word apocalypse is a Greek word meaning revelation, an unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known and perhaps might not have been known prior to this unveiling. Although popular apocalypticism, the one I'm criticizing, is based in the dubious book of Revelations, the real apocalypticism that I'm talking about is in the Torah itself. In numerous junctures, we are told of the curses that will afflict us if we throw God's system out of balance through human behavior, disease on human, animal, and plant kingdoms, starvation, drought, climate change, and economic collapse. It was very interesting to me in my master's program when I took my first graduate courses on, on eschatology and apocalypticism. What the heck was it all about in the Second Temple period? What were they thinking? My professor asked me, or asked all of us in the lecture hall, look, imagine you're living 2,000 years ago, the time of the early rabbis, and you're watching everything that you thought was the way things were supposed to be. The Romans are in charge. The aqueducts bring the water. The taxpayer comes and extorts us, but then, you know, the things happen like we're expecting them to happen. And suddenly, the, the whole state, the, the, the whole country of Judea is falling. And the people who are in the ancient world, especially in, in Judea, are seeing like, well, the aqueducts are breaking and no one's fixing them. So the water that always arrived never arrived. And when people come and bring words of the centralized authority in Rome, they're bringing words from these weird, crazy, um, self-indulgent, narcissistic, bizarre emperors. Whatever had to the emperors who oppressed us, but at the very least brought order. So the idea being that there was a system in place and people see the end signs when they feel like maybe the way we've been doing it is not serving us. Maybe what we took for granted, something else is being revealed about its weaknesses. 
So what is being revealed and what values might be seen in this, what feels like a reset that's going on around us as we challenge and battle the adversary? Well, the first thing that we realize that's been revealed is our deep interconnectedness. We've spent generations operating under the myths of nationalism. One state or nation or community can have its way of doing things as if air and water pollution restrict themselves to state lines, as if people do not move all the time, as if the world economy isn't interconnected. The plague forces us to see that separation is a myth, that a country or community is or can be closed off from the outside world. What starts in Wuhan will be in Europe, in Africa, in Israel, quickly. One area handling it in its own way is insufficient. Each state handling it in its own way, insufficient. Like global warming preceding it, we are in the last gasps of not realizing we're in a new reality. Globalism is not an ideology that one can poo-poo at dinner parties or by waving a Confederate flag. The Shema line of creed has always been true. We are all interconnected parts of one system, and to shut that out is to shut out God. In our reset, we are living without consuming. You know, I really don't know when it happened for my entire life, the exemplar Jewish philosophy text, the one I still hand out to our Intro to Judaism students, is Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel's The Sabbath, in which he lays out the philosophical essence of our religion, that it's a way of being that clashes with a culture of having, that materialism and conspicuous consumerism is the antithesis of Judaism. How many sermons have we heard and given on the topic? But then something happened. Consumerism became patriotic. The numbers of the stock market became equally newsworthy, maybe even more so than the human tragedies beneath it. And that's still true today in our news and in our, in our papers. And I know, yes, people's savings are tied to the market's ups and downs, yes. But it seems to have become more normalized, if not normative, for newscasters and politicians to speak of the stock market's daily ups and downs is more concerning than the human lives and tragedies from today's news. Movies like Wall Street in the 1980s challenged the idolatry and moral vacuity of America's unbridled worship of money. But there are no movies like that anymore. All of that has changed with a whimper and not a bang. The turning point seemed to be when an American president told Americans that the most patriotic thing we could do to defeat the terrorists of 9-11 was to go out and shop. We went from a nation of making collective sacrifices to confront our problems to a nation whose very ethos is to shop and consume and feel good that we are doing the ethically right thing to help our fellow human. And after that, and a few sermons against it shot down by congregants who felt that was a political to take it on, the Sabbath by Abraham Joshua collects dust on the shelf. Consumerism, we are told, is more important than saving, even though it's totally illogical. It's what you can do to make sure America is healthy. And that combined with paying people so little because or else we're simply not competitive and we can't have that has made it so that people don't even have four months of savings that can get them through this. A lack of four months of savings will cause economic apocalypse. And maybe that's what's being revealed. It may seem absolutely bad taste for a rabbi to suggest that we shop too much when people are out of work because we're not shopping. And trust me, I'd rather not bring it up. But it's also the same argument that we can't talk about taking away coal jobs or jobs in the gasoline-based car parts industry 
And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that I'm looking at my recycling container barely filling up in my driveway. Where are all the takeout containers? Where's all the disposable coffee cups? Where are all the packages that I normally have delivered? Why is my credit card bill so low? This is a time of reset for me to ask, what the hell have I been doing? This time squeezes out the myth of productivity. Squeezing, we have been squeezing every ounce of this good called productivity out of our workers. We're working too much and we don't have boundaries to protect the home. Why didn't you return my 9.30 p.m. email or text? And if you say, well, I was working, you say, well, you know, I just worked 12 hours. You know, don't tell me about how busy you are. Just, okay, just have it to me first thing in the morning. I find a way to work this hard and get everything done. You should. Maybe I can give you a coach or a self-help book. And technology hasn't freed us, it's enslaved us. We serve it and not the other way around. And how about our students? How about our teenagers saying, Dad, I have to stay up to 2 in the morning or I can't get my five AP courses done. And when you say to them, I only took one AP course and I got into the University of Michigan, they say, please stop talking about the old days. That was ages ago. This is what everybody else is doing now. The plague creates, forces us to have the boundaries of the home. It gives us a reset for that. The play gives us a sense of how we have exploited nature. The Torah says it over and over again. If you don't give the land her Sabbaths, then I will make it that the land will have its Sabbaths to spite you. We've been burning so many fossil fuels. We've been told that the solution is just to frack more and make shale oil to subsidize oil exploration so that we have independence, subsidize it by the taxpayer or by future generation loans with no room for renewable subsidies because that would be economically unviable. And so now we look out, I, yesterday when I got in the car, I saw that we have $1 gasoline. We have widespread bankruptcy in the oil business. When we look outside our doors, the streets are quiet. The birds and animals have returned. The land will have its Sabbaths. And then we have the Haftarah today, the dehumanization of the poor. The Haftarah reminds us you will head toward the end times if you can't even make it possible for the share what you have with the poor who may not even have enough to make lechem oni, not even enough to make the bread of affliction to live on for Pesach. And we know that the plague exposes privilege. We know it's bad taste when celebrities say, let me tweet to you how hard it is for me to shelter in place in my lavish home. Let me sing a song to cheer you up about not having possessions from a walk-in closet larger than most people's living rooms. And then those of us like me, I have a beautiful home to, to shelter in place in. I can order a new laptop because we're all fighting over the same laptop to get our work done and for the kids to do their homeschooling. And I can order one and I can get it. And I know other people can't. And who can buy two months of groceries? It requires some privilege. Who can have a backyard so kids can go outside? Because now it's not really safe to go to the parks. The plague exposes privilege, especially as 36% of Detroit's population is living in poverty and they're being devastated physically, economically, and emotionally. And I think that it's true to say that what this period is telling me is that I don't have to feel guilty for my privilege, but I should feel grateful I should be able to go to that place. And then 
you don't have to feel guilty for your privilege, but you have to be aware of it. You have to be grateful for the blessings that you have, and that should lead you to feel the commandment of sharing. Pharaoh did not have that. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Israelites did not have privilege, and when they got better off, God said, will you stop hardening your hearts? And the Haftarah reminds us that not everyone can even have for their basic needs. The distinction between the gratitude offering, the todah, and the I just want to eat, eat meat sacrifice at the end. And you have a choice. If I want to eat meat, you can tell the, the Levite, I'm designating this because I'm grateful. When you're grateful, I share more of it. This is a period of making our way not only to the shlamim offering, but to the gratitude offering. The Torah helps us not because it's full of prophecies, but because it's full of people's actual experiences. And it has a vision of a God who has purposes and values that make demands on what we need to grow into. This is what religion is about. At its very core, plagues expose human arrogance that lies at the heart of a system that claims infallibility but really lacks basic integrity. Changing the system starts with what the plague should do to our own hearts, soften them, to realize our humility. We have an adversary is teaching us that we're not as smart as we thought we were. To realize gratitude, I need to realize the blessings that I have. And may that lead me to care for those that don't have those blessings and to say to the Levite, Todah, thank you. I need to share more and have compassion for those who don't have enough. And as this plague progresses, we will be saying the adaptation of the Todah sacrifice that is preserved in the Saturday morning service. We retain the Todah sacrifice, the thank you off gratitude offering with Birkata Gomel, optional blessing in the Torah service for people that want to come to the Bima and said, I've lived through danger. I've gone on a trip. I've traveled to another place or I've been sick and I've recovered. And I'm here to tell you that I feel my blessings and I'm renewed in my desire to share. This plague should lead us to that point. May we all be privileged, all of our loved ones and everyone we care about and everyone who's trying to keep us safe. May we all make it through this to the period of saying Birkata Gomel. Thank you. I know I have blessings and it is forcing me to reset my system and live in a different way. Shabbat Shalom.